Hello, and welcome back to the Futurism at JHU podcast. I'm your host, Nicholas, joined with co-host Ricardo. What's up? And we also have Eric here today. Hi. Uh, he's a computer science freshman on the pre-med track and also potentially ENM minor. So he is a triple threat. Um, yeah. Um, hello, everyone. I'm excited to be here. Um, it's actually my second time recording this podcast, but it's my first time being in the studio. So I'm kind of nervous, but yeah. <laughs> You'll do great, Eric. Um, So today's topic, actually, Eric came up with, and that's looking at uh, net zero carbon emissions and the future of climate change. Mm -hmm. And climate change is one of those things that is really an existential problem because, you know, unlike any other technology, except maybe like AI or nuclear weapons, which are also existential threats. Yeah. um, You know, climate change is one of those things that it's here and it it it's threatening our very existence on this planet and so i think it's super important to talk about i'm really happy you you uh uh proposed the idea and so i thought it'd be really cool um you know because people always like throw out these numbers and these stats about climate change and it's very hard to connect with that a lot um so i wanted to kind of look on the nasa website and pull up some stats on climate change and just kind of visualize how it's changed over the past few decades and so I'd like to pull up the NASA website. Um, so NASA has some really cool stats. You know, they've been tracking the climate, um, you know, for, for decades now. And so first, like looking at how carbon dioxide has changed, you can click on this one and you can go like explore this yourself too. Um, we're not gonna go through everything, but really cool website. So here we can see carbon dioxide uh, it's gone from 380 parts per million uh, in 2005 to over 400. Now it's almost at 420, um, only a couple decades later. So that's a pretty dramatic change for just a couple decades. If we look at this slider here, um, we can see that in 2002, you know, we have pretty, um, you know, like basically what it's doing is it's it's showing how intense the like carbon dioxide amounts are. And so you can see that over time, 2002, it's pretty uh, yellow. And then if we go to, if we go through uh, the years, we can see it gets more orange and then even more orange. So you can see that's a very intense change. And then when we go to 2022, it's like red. We're being smugged. So yeah, we're being- By carbon dioxide. We're being smugged by carbon dioxide. and so clearly, you know, we're seeing that our, you know, carbon emissions are having, you know, a very strong impact on, on the atmosphere. And, you know, basically what, what carbon dioxide is doing for any of you who like don't know is essentially it's like a, it's, a, it's called like a greenhouse gas. So it essentially like traps heat in yeah. the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. And so that causes, you know, the warming of our planet. And so that's what people are talking about with global warming. Um, so. That's a perfect segue into in the global temperature. Um, if we look here, uh, 1880, if we start at like zero, essentially, um, so it's like a relative uh, change. We see that uh, now in 2020, we've increased by one degree Celsius, which depending on if you know Celsius or Fahrenheit, it's It might about, not sound like a lot, but. It might not sound like a lot, but it's essentially like two Fahrenheit, almost yeah. two Fahrenheit. And that's, so imagine like, you have a fever, right? Your normal body temperature is 98.6 degrees Fahrenheit. Essentially, the planet has a two degree Fahrenheit fever 
So it's sitting at 100.6 degrees Fahrenheit, essentially. And that is not a happy place to be, right? Yeah. Like think, think to the last time you were sick, you know, there's a lot of stuff going around right now. A lot of people are sick. A lot of people have fevers and fever is no fun, right? Because your body's basically fighting an infection. And so the planet is basically, you know, fighting an infection, which is essentially human activity, which is slowly, you know, destroying the planet and making it unhealthy. And also like one more thing is like, this is a change, an average change in temperature like all over the earth. So like some places might have not changed at all, but yeah. some places have would have like had a lot more change than that. Yeah, so actually here, I can let you go through this one. Uh -huh. If you wanna look at the, you can see how different parts of the world, we're going through this slider here from 1884 to 2021. And you can see how it's yeah, you kind can of- You even see some like hotspots here and there. Yeah, you can see, so like there's some hotspots like up north, So it's interesting how it's kind of varied over time. Yeah. I mean, it, some, some of it does obviously Asia, have to do with like- North America. Anywhere from like, you know, different seasons happening all the way to like just different ocean currents and just air currents that are sort of like propagating this heat over the entire planet. Oh, But as oh, you can wow. see, yeah, yeah, it's getting, that, getting hot. That yeah. is a dramatic change, like 2012, 2013, wow. Yeah, and very quickly too, so. that. That's intense right there. Mm -hmm. So you actually can see, look, like the red up there, that means four degrees. Yeah. Four mm -hmm. plus degrees Fahrenheit, like up north. So that's why we're having so much of like the melting of the ice caps, which I guess we can look at that next. Um, so we can look at- Ice sheets? Ice sheets, yeah. So there's also sea ice, ice sheets. Yeah, so all of these stats are like very much, very connected, all of them. So let's see. Arctic sea ice extent. So we see it's gone from 7 million square kilometers down to under five. So it's, 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 it's uh, decreased by 12.6% per decade. That, that, is, that is actually, I actually didn't realize that. Yeah, it's a ton. I, that's, dram that's very dramatic. Oh, you can see in the, in the slider too. Wow. Just a visual representation of it. So I guess if you want to see that again, so this was 1979. That's what it looked like. And then if we skip straight to 2022, that's what it looks like. Yeah. That, so basically seven to under five, that's like almost a 50%. Yeah, and the thing you might not realize is that it's talking 30, about million square kilometers. It's not a tiny amount. It's a lot. It's like a lot, a lot. So even though the numbers might not seem like that big a deal, Looking at it in millions of square kilometers, that's a lot of area that's been melting. It's just gone now. Yeah. And which, you know, as all <laughs> types of water do, they end up in the sea. And also like that is like habitat for a lot of like, like wildlife. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. Like you've seen all the videos of like the polar bears. Yeah, yeah. Like just having not a good time at all because this is their home and their mm -hmm. home has shrunk by, you know, 30, 40%. Yeah. Um, you know, it'd be like, someone goes into your house and just like rips out the bathroom, rips out your room, and then you're left with like the kitchen and like living room, right? Essentially, you know, it's, you know, almost half your habitat is gone. Um, and so the sea ice, so you can see like everything is connected, right? So the, the, the um, global warming has caused the sea ice melting and then the sea ice melting has caused, which I'll look at next, uh, sea level rises. So it's all like, it's all connected. It's all like one big, um, interconnected 
problem that's going on. And so we see the rise since 1993 on the top right. You can see that's 102.5 millimeters, which 102.5 millimeters, that's essentially, let's see, what is that conversion math? You guys, CS, CS majors, help me. <laughs> oh, met, metric, uh, <laughs> metric system. Isn't like a hundred uh, millimeters? I think that's 10 centimeters, right? Yeah, I think so. So that's like, what is 10 centimeters like? So if a meter is like this much, yeah. 10 centimeters. Yeah. Which maybe doesn't seem like that much, but I'm guessing it's it's probably a lot more than it's it seems. pretty. It's pretty bad, uh, especially when you look at, you know, how many houses are built in um, close to the beach, right? So it's not just about the sea level rising, but it's also about how much more erosion due to the sea levels increase there is. So uh, um, one problem that I remember hearing about in one of my classes back in high school, which was my marine science class, was just how kind of stupid it is to like build houses straight up on the beach just because of how much erosion there is to the point where like a lot of houses are structurally just not sound in case of a hurricane or something, like they'll immediately be gone. And then the next thing people will do is just rebuild it exact same spot again and again, uh, which is not great, obviously, because you're wasting materials and then you're also putting, you know, the people who live there at risk. So it's not great. Uh, so all these sort of things uh, factor in into what we see here, sea level rising. It might not seem like much, but, you know, water, water is able to do things to, to Earth. Uh, just look at the Grand Canyon as an example. So if you think it does, it doesn't do that much damage. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it kind of does. Also wanted to point it out again, like average can be deceiving. Like this is like 10 centimeters on average. Yeah. But for some places, like especially at low places. Like I, I think I heard people that had to evacuate their ho like their homeland, like maybe in, on islands to other places because their homeland was sinking. Due to yeah. The global warming. What, one of the examples that uh, uh, Professor Ehrenheim, one of my professors for uh, computer science innovation and entrepreneurship, uh, so one of his favorite places on earth is Venice. But as we all know, due to sea level rising and a whole bunch of other stuff that is specifically related to Venice, Venice is slowly sinking. And so again, uh, you don't even have to look that far out to see many examples of the, uh, these things happening. Just, I mean, look at your local coasts and see how those people are managing things. Like it, it's, a, it's a wild ride if you really look into it. Yeah, I think, I think that's a really good point. Um, as you guys were talking about that, it just reminded me of how distanced, the thing about climate change is there's so many people who are so distanced from the problem yeah. Right, like us, for example, like, you know, we're students at Johns Hopkins, you know, we're kind of in our, you know, Hopkins is also a bubble in a sense, but um, we're so isolated from all these problems. Like we're not mm -hmm. living on these, in these places that are, you know, experiencing the flooding, like literally having to evacuate, having their homes destroyed. I mean, we've had some severe weather, you know, just recently. Oh, crazy. You yeah. know, like in Florida, for example, with the hurricane and, you know, there's been a lot of, you know, very unnatural, unnatural, natural, natural disasters, yeah. essentially. Um, and so I think that's, the, you know, it's like part of the issue is people don't have that like personal connection to it and they don't realize the impact of, you know, I guess the impact of their decisions on, on climate change and also like because they're not the ones being personally affected, um, it, it they don't feel like that urgency to like do something about the problem. Um, so... I know we've kind of talked about the problem now, 
Um, and I think it's also important to, now that we've discussed the problem, think about some solutions. Um, I know in like a previous, uh, or, you know, like a conversation we had a while ago, we are talking about is basically like sustainability and climate change, is that something that should be solved at the consumer level? Like, should it be individuals like making choices in their daily lives and that kind of mitigating climate change? So it'd be like, you know, just trying to live a sustainable life, maybe eating more plant-based foods, um, trying to conserve water, uh, you know, converting to like a hybrid car or electric car, you know, more sustainable options in your life. Or is it something that the government should be responsible for, right? There should be that top-down. So it's like, you know, it's a bottom-up approach versus like a top-down approach going from the government. Should it be the government's um, kind of prerogative to, you know, create the policies that is going to drive, you know, positive change and like help us like slow down, you know, global warming and, and climate change? Um, so I think that's, that's a question I present to you guys. Like, Ooh. is the solution the top-down approach? I mean, we've just had elections. We're just right. having elections right now. And that's a huge issue, right? Because there's, you know, there's a lot of candidates who are climate change and global warming deniers and who are you know, in big oil's pockets and stuff like that. Then there's others who are like, super you know, on board with like, climate change and sustainability. And so like, you know, just like, voting in different people is going to have a huge impact on like, the policies that are, are put out there. Um, but yeah, what do, you, what do you guys think? Do you think it's a more, should we have a more top-down approach, a bottom-up approach, maybe somewhat both? Um, like what what is the solution to this this problem? Well, I think it should be like a combination of both. Mm. But well, on the consumer level, well, well, people know that we need to save the, the climate and we have to buy more green products. But in reality, it is really hard, especially if especially if a product if a green product is more expensive than the other, then people might just want to buy the other one. And then, so it's, it's really hard for individual consumers to make decisions only only on green, um, climate change, sustainability. So I think it should be more of a government um, level change. But there, I think there are some exceptions to it. For example, Tesla, like the government didn't really um, try to make like green cars, like EVs at, the, at like before Tesla came out. But Tesla, they got a model that is already attractive to consumers. Not that only it is a DV, but as a car as well. So I think that is an exception. But I think most of the time, um, the government level um, change should be made on that level more than consumer level. Yeah, I, I think very similarly as well. I think there is obviously an aspect to it. One of the things that I'm thinking of is just how harmful the uh, fast fashion is to the whole uh, climate crisis. One of the reasons is it takes so much effort to be able to develop the fibers uh, to wear, to be able to make clothes out of. Uh, and then you have the whole processing that goes into it, right? So not only growing the material and actually managing, but actually, you know, you have to cut it, you have to go and print it. Uh, there, there's a whole bunch of steps that happen to it. And it's very bad usually for the environment. That's why you see a lot of people that are for reusing or upcycling uh, clothes that you may already have and buying obviously quality clothing. Um, and I feel like that specifically is, it, it could be a thing where it just might just sometimes be cheaper just to go thrifting, right? It doesn't take that much more effort. Uh, well, a little bit, cause you actually have to scrounge through a whole bunch of things. 
Uh, but you're able to save and upcycle a whole bunch of clothing, which would otherwise just be thrown away. And usually the worst part is that a lot of the times they're shipped to like third world countries or now they have to deal with the problem of having all these like random clothes in there. Um, other options could be using, you know, different plants or different materials for clothes. Uh, one of the things that I don't think a lot of them use, or I I'm not exactly sure if it's outbanned or not, but like the use of hemp, right? So, mm -hmm. you know, basically like marijuana, weed, so like that plant, uh, sure, there are some negative connotations for it, but the big factor in here is that it's able to grow really easily and almost anywhere. So you're able to grow, actually, like I, I believe the first uh, hot air balloon was made out of hemp. So you can sort of see how strong and how durable the material is. Uh, and it's extremely easy to grow. It doesn't require as much water as some of these other fibers do. So it's a good solution that some people could get behind. Um, and I also believe that there is some ro uh, government regulation because as Eric said, uh, you know, some people just don't have the funds to live a certain way, right? If you're, you know, having to save up or make sure that you're not spending too much so that you're able to meet payments or whatever for the next month, you might not be able to spend those 10, 20 extra dollars on your shopping for more ethical stores of food or for more climate friendly options to the stuff that you already buy. So I personally believe that the government also has sort of a big part to play. Maybe not even necessarily like strictly telling companies, oh, you have to do this, but maybe providing incentives, right? That'll outweigh the negatives of buying other stuff. Maybe, and I, I believe the government did do this a little bit for like companies like Ford uh, to develop EVs and sell them because they would get an incentive, a monetary incentive out of it, be it like a tax cut or some type of incentive that would make it easier for other people to purchase these products, which would ultimately, you know, help the environment and not be as harmful. So I feel like, like Eric said, there is very much the part of you can play if you're able to, uh, but at the same time, go to your government officials and vote the way you want uh, so that the government is able to sort of do something about, um, this whole situation because at the end of the day the major polluters are the big companies and even if we do a whole bunch of this this stuff if we don't demand it from the companies obviously they're just going to keep doing the way they're going to keep doing things the way they've done it just for the sake of it's easier and they're probably saving money without having to develop anything so that's just kind of like my two cents on it that reminded me um when i was in high school as part of my school's like environmental club uh called like the green team and there was one story that reminded me when you guys were talking about like price um, and like kind of consumerism, like we're such a, we're such a society of like consumption, right? Like people are always obsessed. Like we, when you mentioned the fast fashion, also did a project on fast fashion, like yeah. the environmental and like social impact of it. And it's really, really harmful, not just to the environment, but like the whole like factories and like the way that workers are treated within those factories. And like, there's a whole bunch of like human rights issues with them too. Um, but we're such a society of consumption and we don't realize that, you know, keeping up with the current trends or, you know, wanting to consume and buy new stuff, like it's really having a huge impact, like, you know, on the environment and on, you know, other humans as well. And it just got me thinking of the story that one person told in my club. And that was, I believe it was her grandfather. This was one of the members of the club, her grandfather, um, was like a super there's this word like called minimalism yeah which is a basics basically being like a minimalist in your life like not using more than you need to like being very like frugal essentially um and just like focusing more on like quality over quantity and so she gave the story of 
essentially um, like she wanted to go for a drive. She wanted to drive her grand grandfather to, I think like the mall or the grocery store. And he was like, no, I don't really want to do that because I don't want to spend the money on oil and I don't want to have to, you know, waste the, yeah, basically I don't want to spend the money on oil and I don't want to waste the oil in my tank and like, you know, let's go bike instead. So like an example of like that is like, you know, thinking about the daily choices in your life where you can take a minimalist approach where you can do something that's cheaper and easier and that's also going to help the environment, right? So like biking instead of um, driving or walking instead of driving. And so I think that could be an interesting like consumer-sided approach if we can kind of change the narrative around society being a less consumer-based society and being a more minimalist-based society. Obviously, that's a big ask, um, but I think I think it could be done. And I think I think people will be happier for it because I think this pursuit of consumption is actually very unhealthy. I think that people who are kind of happier with having less, essentially, like not having to chase every trend or, or you know, always be buying stuff are actually happier people, ironically. Maybe that's a little, you know, that's a little bit of a, of a um, hot take, but that's just kind of where I stand on it. Um, one more thing I'll mention, sorry, I'm, I'm kind of <laughs> going on a tangent here, but one more thing I'll mention is um, food. And I know we've talked about the future of food. Yeah, very um, recently. But one thing that I'm very, very excited about, very passionate about is lab-grown meat. And I did a presentation on this in my oral presentations class. Mm -hmm. But I think lab-grown meat could be a huge, huge, huge positive solution because not only are you allowing meat eaters to still eat meat, right? Like I like my meat. I was, you know, I was, I was basically, you know, vegetarian or trying to eat more plant-based for like two years. And I've kind of shifted back to more meat eating, unfortunately, um, just for like health reasons. Right. But like, I would a hundred percent be eat lab grown meat. I think it's, you know, you're, you're still getting that taste, you're getting that texture, you're getting the protein, but it's without the environmental impact. It's without the animal impact. And so I think that to me is one of the most promising innovations of the century. If we can get lab grown meat out to market and we can get consumers to adopt it, we can get the price cheaper than normal meat. That is going to have a huge, because agriculture and, um, like food, like food farming, essentially animal farming is, has such an environmental impact. It's like unbelievable. And like not having to kill the animals as a bonus. That's great. So that to me is like probably the most exciting, like innovation that's kind of under development. And I hope we can get that kind of to market. Um, it's start, it's start, actually it's starting to come to market slowly, but surely still really expensive right now, but I think in the next five, 10 years, it could be, it could potentially be up there um, and people will start buying lab grown meat. Yeah, I think that's actually interesting. Actually, one of my cousins uh, who lives in Mexico, I think he very recently started uh, college in Mexico, so congrats to him. Uh, and I think he, as his uh, major, I think he's doing uh, agricultural engineering. So it'll be very interesting, hopefully, when he gets a little more knowledgeable about all this stuff, uh, it'd be cool to just like have a conversation with him about this kind of stuff, I, he only speaks Spanish, fortunately, but maybe we could have like a translation like afterwards or I could translate and yeah. it'd be cool to bring him in because uh, awesome. he does, he wants to, you know, be sort of like a farmer, uh, be able to grow food and really manage it really well. So I, I think um, he would be an interesting person to like bring uh, later on when he's a little more knowledgeable. And I totally agree with the whole uh, 
lab-grown meat because I also love, you know, as someone that works out a lot, you need a lot of protein and it's sometimes really hard to get it just from plant-based foods. Some of the most protein-dense foods out there are just, you know, meat in general. And uh, I think the fact that like uh, meat itself has grown so like industrialized is also pretty bad in my opinion, because at the same time, uh, you know, we have all these issues with like the animals, of course, but also the fact that like maybe we're eating too much of something that we are not supposed to eat that much. Like I love my bacon, but you know, we just kind of have to acknowledge how much fat bacon in itself has, uh, which, you know, bring about its own like issues here and there. Uh, one, I'm actually a big proponent also for like hunting. Uh, uh, one of the reasons is because you're actually having to work for the food. Like some of the, surprisingly, some of the most like environmentally headed people are people that are always out in the wild doing things, which includes a lot of the times hunters, fishermen. Those are the people that genuinely want to protect the environment because that's the place where they spend the most fun. If there were no animals to hunt at all, what's the fun in being out there? If there's no fish to catch, then being a fisherman is kind of not great. So I think also thinking about these people and how they think about the environment is also like a pretty good thing to have in mind, just because like these are the people that are always out there and have probably the wildest experiences and are probably most knowledgeable on their local like, ecosystems. Yeah, I definitely agree to that. And also on top of lab-grown meat, I, I personally haven't tried it, but I think um, one of the most major factors in um, producing methane is actually cow fart. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I've heard that. And then like agricultural has like really negative impact on um, climate change because of that. So I was thinking like, there are also more like solutions such as like um, GMOs or like other um, crops that can be grown without less using less carbon. And also like I heard, I think I read it somewhere. I think it was in Bill Gates' book about like avoiding climate disaster. Um, I think people are currently researching ways to genetically make a cow to not produce that much methane. I saw that. Yeah. 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 So really? I think that's a thing. That's yeah. interesting. Wow. So I think that's also <laughs> eliminating the fart gene. Yeah. The methane yeah. gene. Yeah. So I think that's also a good that's solution. that's really interesting. If it can be like actually be done. Yeah. Yeah, I I think that's something that people don't realize a lot is like how much carbon dioxide and methane like animals produce and like animal farming. Yeah. You know, you normally think of like factories and cars is like the main you know co2 emitters but it might honestly i mean I'm, I'm sure there's stats out there it might honestly be animal farming like as one of the top uh producers of of like greenhouse gases mm -hmm. so that's just an added bonus of if we can get more lab grown meat i think from what i'd done in my research i think it was it's basically 90 percent decrease if we do because like obviously when you're producing the lab-grown meat, basically what you're doing is you're like taking some animal cells, you're culturing them in a dish. A huge benefit of that, you're talking about the fat and bacon, a huge benefit of lab-grown meat is you can control the amount of fat oh, that's okay. in it. So you can have very lean, very healthy meat. And so that's a huge, that's a huge benefit for like just health because actually that reminded me, there was a video of this company that actually had 3D printed meat and they basically, you would, you, you basically go to this machine. I mean, it's like very thin, very small. So obviously they're gonna, you know, have to, have to, uh, you know, 
make it more you know cheap to make but you could choose the amount of fat that you wanted you could choose what kind of slice you wanted and i think that would be really interesting like having consumers like 3d print their own food and having the amount of fat content and protein content that they want in it that to me is really really cool bodybuilders would be amazing oh yeah i already know because they you know they want they, they want the protein right they don't really want the yeah they're super meticulous the about content. yeah especially yeah. If, like if you're competing you want to have everything tracked and be exactly as you want it so having that level of precision especially because when you're having a competition you kind of have to you know leverage all these different things at once that would be amazing yeah i think i think like i said i think lab grown meat is very very promising to me i think the one the one hurdle will be consumer adoption yeah and obviously price i think i think price will come down like with any technology it just it starts very expensive and then it goes down as you know there's more competitors and there's more developments yeah i think i think uh the major at least for me the major thing is just like taste and price as you said like i i want to be able to afford something and at the same time i want to not miss out on the quality of like the taste yeah that's the main thing and we see this with like um alternatives to meat, right so like the impossible uh, beyond, beyond burger beyond yeah. burgers stuff like that where it's trying to imitate as much as possible the taste of meat but sometimes it doesn't quite get there so the adoption isn't there just based on the people that like have grown with regular meat hamburgers and just know the taste i think that's one of the things the the meat itself and like the taste isn't bad but it is definitely different and i think that's the main hurdle that's setting at least that back it's just the fact that like, since you can't necessarily replicate it a hundred percent people are less willing to like actually eat it on a regular basis because they want the taste of it. Same thing with like turkey bacon. You could eat turkey bacon, but it's not the same as regular bacon. Like if, you know, it's similar, but it has these different like textures and like flavors where the transition isn't always like very smooth. Yeah, I think that's another benefit of lab grown meat is it's, it's meat. It's actual meat, like it's not, you know, these imitations like Beyond and Impossible, which I would add actually are pretty Dang good in my yeah, opinion. Like, like in I've their own them. right. They're pretty good. I mean, you know, it's not exactly the right thing, but if you kind of like trick yourself into it, they taste pretty good. So like anyone who hasn't tried them, I would definitely like try it at least once and see how you like it. Um but yeah, lab grown meat, I mean there's nothing to trick you with because it's truly meat. It's actual, you know, muscle cells, muscle fibers from, you know, a cow or chicken or whatever. Um so I think, you know, in terms of taste, I think we'll get there in taste for sure. Yeah. It'll just be the price. And then also there's probably going to be some hesitation of like, oh, this was grown in the lab. You know what I mean? Like, I'm sure there's going to be a little hesitation there. But to be fair, like we've we've kind of messed with all our foods before. Most foods are genetically modified in some way. To some degree. Like, you know, if you're eating cereal, like all of those cereals, like General Mills, it's all genetically modified, you know, ingredients going in there. And so, you know, we're already messing with stuff, but I feel like this is one of the things where we're messing with it in a way, but we're also doing it for good. Like we're saving animals and we're saving the planet and we're, you know, allowing meat eaters, you know, meat lovers to still eat their meat without feeling guilty about it. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, you know, obviously, you know, lab grown meat is not the only solution, but I think there's, you know, it's, it's one step in creating a brighter future. And I think a mix of, you know, us as consumers trying to be more minimalist, yeah. right? Like just thinking about where can we kind of take a more minimalist approach, be less, you know, consumer focused and thinking about that on a personal level. 
And then on a you know, more societal and political level, trying to put the people in power, you know, with the elections, try to put the people in power who are going to care about this issue and who are going to put the policies forward that are going to force companies to, you know, mitigate their CO2 emissions, to adopt more green technologies. And I think that mix of consumers being more, you know, cognizant and minimalist, and then, you know, the government putting restrictions on corporations and make, forcing them to be more green, I think the combination of that is going to really help us push us in that direction that we need to. Um, really, in the next few years, I mean, the UN had that stat of something like, you know, in like the next, I think they said in 2020, we have like 10 years to really make like a big push to like get this under control before it kind of goes out of reach. So according to them, we have like seven, eight years left to like, like, you know, like 2030 to really make a big change. So yeah, we kind of have to start now. Um, I think they're trying to do it by 2050. Like 2050. Achieve net zero carbon emission. Yeah. 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 But I think it's going to be really hard. Yeah. Even though we act now. Because like, well, like we're currently using fossil fuel for our cars still, even though EVs like are using, are like growing. But there are currently like big car companies that won't like that change. Because like, like, and then it's going to be, um, a lot of there's going to be a lot of people who don't want that change also and one more thing is like as uh, Nick mentioned before um, like the, the, the decision makers in our um, political world are not people that who came from like the people that the areas that are severely impacted by climate change so I don't think well in my opinion climate change um should be more done in like people from those areas should like speak up more maybe and then talk about like how they were impacted and how it can also um be a be a story for them for us as well um and yeah that's that's, yeah yeah, i agree with that especially because like one of the things we don't think about, but it's like a very clear example, is just air conditioning. It is so mass spread here in the US. Every house that you go to, every mall, every store, AC, always there. But if you just go down south and cross the border into Mexico, as soon as you get there, literally like five seconds after you cross the border and go into someone's house, there is no AC to be found. There's AC maybe in like a few public buildings or maybe like in a store or something, like a big place. But like most people don't actually own ACs. Like it is very rare and what they have to do is just kind of use fans and just open up the windows and that's what we would do like back when i lived in mexico just open up the windows you know letting all the fresh air try to come in and so just thinking about that like what would you do right here right now if you didn't have access to ac like same thing with heaters space heaters we don't really have that in mexico either so a lot of people especially in the u.s are kind of shielded from the effects of climate change because they have these commodities which allow them to sort of be unfazed by it, where if you just look down south, it's the complete opposite, where you're just you know having to brave either the cold or the heat uh, by other means. So, like I said, just talk to your neighbor and you'll probably find out like many more examples of that. Yeah, I think that's really interesting because uh, we're talking about this before, but like AC is one of those things where you're, you use the AC because it's warm outside. Yeah, and it's warm because of climate change, but when you use the AC, you're actually contributing more to the problem because you're releasing, you know, carbon, and then it's just this whole like cycle of, 
you know, it gets hotter and then you use more AC and then you use more AC, it gets hotter. So it's like this never ending cycle um, that's just like propagating the problem. And so, yeah, I think, you know, to everyone out there listening, um, like just think about what's like in your power, you know, to control, like maybe right this second, you know, controlling what the government does is kind of difficult. Um, obviously we can influence that, you know, through elections, voting mm-hmm. the right people into power. You can do that by, you know, emailing and calling representatives, trying to push them to do things. I mean, even running yourself, you know, eventually if you want to get into politics, you can be the one, the people in power to make these changes. And I know we just had like our first, our Gen, first Z. Gen Z, literally 25 year old, I think Max Frost is his name. Mm, I think so. Maxwell Frost or Max Frost, um, which is incredible. And yeah, I, I mean, that is like the coolest thing ever that we actually have a Gen Z like the youngest person um, in Congress right now. And I just think that's so, so, so cool. And it shows that, you know, we're all, you know, 20, around 20 year olds. And like, that could be us in, in four or five years. We could literally be, you know, a representative and we can create policies that we want to see. Um, but, you know, until then, like, I challenge all of you to find one thing in your life, like one small change that you can make today or this week Um, whether it be maybe you eat one plant-based meal this week or you try to cut your shower time by a little bit or you know you try to use a little less ac or a little less heating um so i would challenge all of you out there to like find you know one one small change um in your life that you can make you know right now and you know you may not think like it's much but if you can do it then other people can do it and if we can get more people to do it it'll just you know it's a compounding effect where you know, starts with one person, starts with this, you know, us right here. And then it can, you can help other people make those changes as well. And we can create a ripple effect that can have a really, you know, big, uh, big positive impact in, in uh, solving this issue. Um, so yeah, thank you, Eric, for, for uh, proposing this topic. Really, really cool topic. Always love talking about this. Um, I think it's really important to talk about and think about. And also, you know, not just complain about the issue because it is an issue um, that's very easy to complain about but also think about what we can do about it um, because at this point it's more about we know it exists and we have to push for solutions and so yeah I think I think the future is bleak and bright at the same time definitely and so hopefully we can we can push it to more the bright side um, but yeah thanks for listening hope you enjoyed thanks Ricardo and Eric Yep. And we'll see you guys on the next one. Bye. See ya.